Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops, and Inprint, a literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, conducts readings, workshops, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and supports writers. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the United States with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And welcome back. This is Inkwell Season 2. I'm Jasmine Mendez. That was a really long break. I know. Oh, and I'm Lupe Mendez. <laughs> Hi, who are you? <laughs> Uh, this is, yeah, welcome back. This is uh, the start of season two mm-hmm. of Inkwell. <laughs> Already it begins. Already? Okay, the fun has begun. <laughs> um, That's our guests laughing in the background. Uh, really? Guests, say hello. Hello. Um, we won't tell you the guest's name just yet. No. Because we're still trying to figure out what we're doing. We're back from the break. And in that break, in case you guys don't remember, I had a child um, because I was pregnant all last season. We had a child, like oh, I sorry. went on well, vacation or something like that. <laughs> well, physically, I'm the one that birthed the and child. I have like moretones on my so, hand from how hard you squeezed. Um, so yeah, good times. <laughs> and now we're we're back from our mutual maternity leave, I guess. Paternity, mutual? maternity. I don't There's know. No, it's Texas, it and neither of those things exist. No, here. Just, yeah. Uh, but we're so back, and we have an exciting season planned for you all. So hopefully, we actually took some time and like planned out the whole thing. So we did at Imprint. Imprint been very helpful so at the mansion. You. Yes, at the mansion that is, is Imprint. She finally the agreed to come mansion. Well, I win. <laughs> moving along. So today, uh, what are we, what are we, we are uh, we actually so to start off show. Um, like a lot of what we're going to be discussing with our guest Jonathan Mendoza. Um, who we'll introduce in a little bit. Um, but like the idea of where in which like we both do what is both career, but then also like activism, but then also what mm. is the poetry and how all that mixes together. So like the idea that I was thinking in terms of our conversation to start off is like, how did you figure out when like poetry or writing was more than a hobby mm-hmm. and it became Oh, I can actually do this. And well, according to my father, somewhere. it still is a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, when are you oh. going to leave that hobby for a real job? No, yeah, I mean, I think it was probably, um, man, I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact, exact like moment per se, but. Um, yeah, it was just once there were, I was like starting getting like more regular gigs like at the university level and like getting paid to do performances and not just doing like open mics around town and like being like, oh, this is fun to do, you know, with some drinks and some friends and like let's empower each other. But then it was like folks kind of started coming to me and asking me to like do, you know, work at universities or at high schools or with like students and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, wait, like. I can get like paid to do this or, you know, it's, this is valued in this way. Um, 
And then I think too, just like seeing my work in print the first time, which was total happenstance and it wasn't even poetry, it was memoir. Um, I was like, oh wow, like my words on the page, like this is exciting. Oh wait, what was the name of the, the book? My uh, brain does Windows Into My World. It was oh, an antholo- yeah. it was an anthology um, by Arte Publico Press. Who was the editor? Sarah Cortez was yeah, the editor. Yeah. yeah. And so so yeah, so it was then that I was kinda like, Oh wait, I can like do this. And I think going to the like the book festivals and seeing like real like authors that were like there and, and doing stuff and being introduced to like actual published writers. I was like, oh, this is like a career. It's not just like dead white guys that like can do this. You know, other people can do this too. So, and that was, yeah, like 10 years ago, but I didn't really probably start taking it seriously until maybe like 2015, actually, just a few years ago when I started like knowing that like residencies were a thing, like Vona and Macondo and like all these things that like you had started to do and then like you could get like a degree in like creative writing. I was like, oh, that's a thing. Um, and I guess I kind of like knew it, but I just didn't think it was like accessible to me yeah. at the time. So I think, uh, I don't know if I had to pinpoint, I don't know. It's very odd too, because since I didn't, it, and part of the questions that we get to ask our guest is like the, those I'm always like flabbergasted at the number of writers who start off, their career before they hit 21 because not having not having had the access even the knowledge that slams were a thing or that even creative writing classes on the high school level like that stuff didn't come up and so yeah I didn't start getting my feet in the water until doing the work with Nuestra Palabra and even then maybe like five years into doing all the work we kind of put a troop together to go do readings. And one of the first gigs we got was the Texas book festival had a poetry tent run by Tammy Cortez, Tammy Cortez, Tammy Gomez, um, who's out of Dallas. And the moment that she like this huge book festival happening at uh, the Texas Capitol and Tammy calling us up to the mic. And there was like a full on tent with like a good 30, 40 people. Like it was at that point I was like, wait, I could, this could be a thing. Uh, we didn't get paid for it, but it kind of got the wheels going in terms of pursuing yeah, it I could more pursue this like more professionally and, or like seriously. I, yeah. At that point I was taking it much more seriously other than having done already a couple of years doing the open mics here in town. And so, well, the interesting thing is that like nobody tells you how to do it. Yeah. No, and, no, like, and there no. is no one way. Like people think there's mm. a one way they're like, Oh, well you have to get your MFA or a PhD and then you have to become an academic. And then that's the only way that you can like write and like, mm-hmm. you know, publish and still have a career or a job. And then, and then other people also are like, Oh no, you need like an agent so you can get bookings if you're a performance mm-hmm. quote and do it. Like, right, and I'm like, right, right, right. but there's not necessarily the like one, one way. way, one mm-hmm. path to go about having this quote unquote career as a writer or to like, you know, make a living or earn like a living off of this. And then the splash of cold water on your face is the first time I get a piece published, which coincidentally is also not a poem. It was a flash fiction piece. Um, Poetry is hard to get published. Yeah, Let's be real. So, like, like it's hard. My first piece was <laughs> a Norton's anthology was in a Norton's anthology of Latino sudden fiction. And it was a, a performance poem that I'd done for a while. And I added maybe like five more lines and it got published. And I go to my parents' house and I'm like, Ama. Me publicaron, and my dad's like, oh, eso está bueno. They pay you. 
And yeah. Like, well, that was my dad when I like finally got like the book deal or whatever for like for Arte Publico with like my memoir. He was like, well, "How much did they give you?" And like I told him, and he was like, "That's it." And I'm like, the fact that I got an advance at all is like amazing. Shut up. Like, um, leave me alone. I don't. You know what? And this this is. Um, I don't even know. If the, I don't think I've told my parents that my book is coming out yet. I think I you did. Do, did I? I don't even. I think it's so funny. Our parents are like more excited when we end up in the newspaper. Yeah. Like when we have like a little I want like copies, interview, so and, like, I can a, give your tea. Oh my God, you're in the newspaper. I'm like, you realize I published an entire book. Like, an entire book. You're like how an many- eyewitness of <laughs> shoplifting yes, crime. Yes. Like- how many copies can <laughs> I get? I need to mail it to like, your theme. I'm like, why do you, what is that? Okay. Just to brag, they can put it on the fridge. You're in the newspaper. Like, I don't, this isn't like 1920. Like, what are we doing perspective, here? Our, our parents grew up, you know. But that's also a thing, too, like... I don't know, like, like in terms of uh, Luz Maria. Now that she's, she's probably gonna hate poetry. I don't know, um, but like the concept be of an engineer. <laughs> I don't want to go. Which STEM, is fine because then she can like support my <laughs> support my, my, my broke ass. Um, but so like I don't. I just I look at like like the structure of how we even get into the arts. Like it wasn't that wasn't one of the options right. for either of my parents. Like. Yeah. I, if I had to remember the number of times that we went to a museum as a kid, it never happened. Like, see, and I was always exposed to it, but again, it was always like a an extra thing. Like, it was always a hobby. Like, I was in theater and I was acting, and I was my dad was like, "That's nice for a hobby, but that's not a job. You can't have a job in that." Like, you know, it's really hard. Basically, like it was right. too hard, like to be able to break into that field and do stuff. And so he's like, "What's your plan? What's your life plan?" Like, and that's why I got into education, which now I love. And like, that's that's another reason why I think like. Even teaching creative writing, like, that is still a part of, like, my writing life and writing career. And that's how I choose to pursue, like, a writing career outside of, like, just sitting at home and writing, you know, like, is, like, teaching. But I I don't want to be in academia. Like, I don't want to teach adults. I like the kids. Well, so, yeah, like, like my, you know, like, at first I was going to go into medicine and then biology one. Fuck me up. <laughs> I can't. Like, I can't memorize. Um, but so, <laughs> like, which also also affects why I'm not the best performance poet, and why I memorize. probably can't slam because I can't memorize to save my ass. But interestingly, like, I'm always in awe of of those writers that are like to hell with it, and I'm gonna start this career and do gigs and do performances and do readings and mm-hmm. and lectures and and I'm like. Man, because I can't, that, that for me is such a, not a foreign entity, but a thing in which there, there's so much on the line and the, the pressure that exists in that. And it, it and there's, I mean, there's uncertainty, right? Like, I mean, it, it could be that like, I mean, there's some, I feel like there are some poets who very much like every fall and every spring have like seasons lined up and they have these agents and they like have these whole tours and like, it really works out for them. But then sometimes I feel like. It could be great, and then maybe next season you're not the it like poet or the oh, it maybe. person. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how how necessarily it works, but so and I also think always, like even with like if you're publishing too, like what does that look? Like? What does that look like in one year? You're in one year. You're out. One, you know, and that's why the yeah. relevancy of all the the work yeah. and like, do you feel yeah. irrelevant like after yeah. two years of your book being out, or how does that work? And yeah, and now I mean, I'm that's how you just keep now. writing. I mean, I feel like you do have to. I mean. I don't know. Which is the other reason why I also like the fact that I get to, like, uh, part of the work, too, and one of the questions that we'll get to ask Jonathan is, you know, the influences between the work that you do and then the poetry that you craft and does one. How does it work How does that work and how does that inform? I think, like, I'm grateful that I got into career in education um, after me trying to go into pre-med, screwed up, um, because 
I like the the way that 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 kind of introduces itself into my writing, and then what I'm mm. able to do now with the writing and it flowing it back into my class. So. But that's a that's, recent thing for you. Like you used to is, not write about your no, classroom to, or your work. That like, was always difficult. And like, I actually don't at all. Like I've never written about my classroom experience. So I feel like there's a point in which I think I feel like writing an essay about like, because after 40, I stopped giving a shit. Mm-hmm. And so like everything started informing. I used to compartmentalize my performance life and my activist life and my teacher life yeah. to where nobody was aware of the other. And now with such just, I mean I don't I don't think we have the luxury of compartmentalizing that at this is now the point thing. in America. <laughs> so I right think all now, of those you know, things like, like are informing all the work that I'm they doing and they're to. so relevant. Like I've never ever had the opportunity to be able to teach about the things I'm writing and lecture about the things I'm teaching and write a poem about the things that I'm being an activist about. And and so that's so yeah, we so have a lot to talk to, about. Yeah, we get to ask our guests these same questions. I'm just stop slamming this coaster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we'll take a really quick uh, little uh, musical interlude. Lude and uh, lude? I don't think lude is interlude? like a thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm sleepy, and uh, we'll come back and guest? interview our guest for the first our first guest for the season uh, of Inkwell, Jonathan Mendoza. Let's learn a little bit about our guest today, um, who actually we um, had as part of our um, open mic reading series um, last season here at Stages, and that was fun. <laughs> that was I'm waiting for you to pull fun. up the um, bio. I have the bio. I'm like, <laughs> giving us some leeway time here. You weren't supposed to say that. Um, all right, so here goes. Keep it real. Um, so, Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan Mendoza is a Boston-bred Jewish and Mexican-American poet, musician, youth social justice educator, community organizer, and activist. He is a National Poetry Slam champion with House Slam of Boston, Massachusetts, a a three-time award winner at the College Union Poetry Slam Invitational Cupsy, uh, the 2018 winner of the Sona Sanchez Langston Hughes Poetry Contest uh, out of uh, Split This Rock. Um, the author of When the Crow Comes, Pizza Pie Press 2017, and a finalist for Button Poetry's 2018 chapbook contest. Jonathan currently organizes in Chicago around police brutality, migrant rights, and gentrification as an organizer with the Pilsen Alliance. He is a proud, anxious Virgo, Greek yogurt enthusiast, and a devout believer in the power of young people to shape and transform this world for the better. To learn more about his work, you can visit MendozaPoetry.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Mendoza. Wow. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Put your phone so on here. silent. What is happening? People actually, so like before we started this, I like had tweeted out a photo and people are liking oh, the photo. The photo so of season two. It's meta. So welcome back to Houston. Jonathan. Yeah, welcome Thank back. Thank you. Thanks it's so good to be here. Yeah. Spending time with us. Do you, so we usually open up with a poem. Do you have something you'd like to share with us? Today? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. I like your phone. It's green. Yeah, it's uh, there's nothing about this phone works. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's just a toy. <laughs> um, okay. Hey, you know what I'll do? Yeah, I'll do this one. I'll, I'll switch it up. I'll switch it up. <clears throat> do you want me to talk about the piece a little bit before? Or just you do can. it? You can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
Okay. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So this is part of uh, my next project, which I guess I can, like, talk about. Dopeness. Later on. But um, I probably have it memorized. Just last time I did a podcast, I, like, was doing, they're like, can you do a poem? And then I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I was, like, doing this, like, sad-ass poem about my depression. And they were getting all into it. And everybody was, like, feeling themselves. People were, like, closing their eyes, like, in the studio, really vibing to it. And then, like, three quarters into the poem, I was like, I forgot the poem. <laughs> 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 and then they're like, uh, all right, take two. <laughs> Try this again. <laughs> so let's do that again. Okay. <clears throat> In conversation with America, she says, bring me a story. I say, I have no story. She says, then bring me something from home. I say, I have no home. She says, then where are you from, brown boy? I say I am not brown. America says, but you are not white. I say, neither are you. She says, never mind. Tell me about homeland. I say, if homeland is a place from which my bones ascend, then my mother is from New York. My father is from Mexico. And before that, his grandparents from Mexico, hers from Eastern Europe. And before that, I don't know. Before that, I don't know. Before that, I don't know. Okay, fine. Tell me why you are so quiet about the white parts. Hmm. I tell her, I do not obsess with what I can't unbury. She asks, you who speak so constantly of preservation, has the Jewish in your blood not some recipe for survival? I say, she responds, Tell me why you are so obsessed with the brown parts. I say, define obsessed. She says, in which you cannot unhinge your grasp. I say, I never had one. I stepped foot in the land once, twice. I didn't know the language well enough to tell them I love them. I could say, te amo, te amo, but that does not flesh the being. I remember a time when my father thought I was lost. I was in the capital, buying pirated films in an outdoor market joyful and civilian. My father found me and shouted that I had escaped his sight. He says it's my green eyes and fair skin. I am a foreigner in my own body. So is Mexico not a home, she asks. I say I told you. My father says it's not safe for me there. So is Poland not a home, she asks. I say I told you. My history says it's not safe for me there. So is Boston not a home, she asks. I say I told you. My depression says it's not safe for me there. So what is home? Home is a street in which threat is illusion. Home is a storm and love is the water. You strike the air and home hugs the fist. You spill your mother's tea and home kisses each hand. Home is a dream that swaddles all of you, which is to say I don't believe in home, at least not that it is a place. Home has become a word we use to declare what we believe we own. I do not own home. I am home. So no, I don't believe in home as you define it. I believe in safety and the names we use to call our lovers refuge. Does that answer your question? No. America sighs. You can go back to your desk now. 
get back to work. Thank you. Ah, collective breath, I feel like. <laughs> Big inhale, exhale. I'm still holding my breath. You're still holding your breath. <laughs> Just, Don't pass out. Don't pass out. We need to finish the interview. No. <clears throat> I think it's like the third time I've heard that poem, and every time I'm just like... <gasps> like hanging on every word and like image and it's just it's like the way you read it but it's just the language and and I'm like obsessed with home like that's one of my obsessions in my writing so to hear how other people approach that topic and actually like one of our like one of my major questions was this idea of like your intersectionalities mm. your intersectional identities and like how they they work um so let's in start your there. writing yeah, yeah. so I don't really know what the question is but the- <laughs> <laughs> so like Kind of speaking to that a little bit more like that. I think that piece really um, brings up, you know, your all your multiple sort of identities and, and ways that you identify. And so um, I guess in what other ways has that influenced like your writing life and your your work? Just like my various identities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Um, and that's like, <clears throat> I'm glad you asked that because that's like a, the focus of like my writing now or just like uh, my manuscript and like how it's taking shape is... Um, is that is like trying to look at like what are the different diverse identities that I carry mm-hmm. um, and what happens when I actually put them in conversation with each other. Um, so in that poem, that's like an example of like my American identity, I guess, mm-hmm. um, being manifest into this like person figure that that uh, that like my contemporary millennial self, whatever is like in conversation with. But um, yeah, I think that's something I'm like playing with a lot right now is just like a deep unpacking and kind of like dissection of like the different things that I am, um, which feels like I'm like splintering like my whole self into like a bunch of little selves and then mm. putting them in, in conversation with each other. Um, so it's been like interesting. I don't know. I think I'm just like reading a lot about my like own ancestry and lineage and just talking to my dad a lot and my, my grandfather a good amount. Um, and just learning more stories about like who I am and where I come from um, and what that means about me. And that, yeah, that, that that, was, that's a great sort yeah, of lead in, lead in to the, next, so to like, the other question. Well, yeah. Yeah, good, just good. In, the, in regards to like, you know, you're saying that you're sort of like investigating or like, you know, asking questions about, you know, to your, to your family member. Do you feel, do you find that they're like, open to answering those questions or is there like any resistance or just kind of like holding yeah. back of things? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I, I'm like really tight with my dad, with, mo- with both my parents. Um, I have like great relationships with them. I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. Um, and they, it's just funny talking to my dad cause sometimes he'll just like totally, like, <laughs> I'll ask him like a head on question mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, where was my grandfather born? And then he'll take that question to like think about for like 10 seconds and he'll just like totally swing the other way and be like, well, it's funny you asked that question because I drove a car from Arizona to Boston. And I was like, that's that's amazing. That's not what I asked. <laughs> but <laughs> so, I think there's like, because I think there are things that my my dad or, or yeah, I'll, I'll speak, speak for me personally, but I think there are things that my dad or my grandfather liked feel to them are like the most pivotal important things like in their lives and like how I became who I am Mm. um but then there are all these other questions that I have so it's not that they're like reluctant to answer because eventually I'll be like okay but that's great dad and where was my grandfather born (laughs) I'll be like well and the car almost overheated and I was like yep I I know the story (laughs) (laughs) I need these facts and it's like after like half an hour he'll be like oh he was probably born in Jalisco and then I was like awesome next question yeah but um, 
Yeah, so they're like definitely open, but there's a lot like we don't know. Um, there's a lot, a lot we don't know, uh, just because um, stories have been lost, uh, and for I mean, for a lot of people, uh, especially people of color, um, black and brown folks in particular, that your lineage you can only trace back like a certain extent. Um, so that's like a very real thing on on my dad's side of the family. Uh, and yeah, so there are things unanswered. I think there's like probably, I'd imagine if I go far back enough, um, there, there's like trauma that's like really tough for people to dig into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like I, I visited my family in Chihuahua very recently. Um, and my grandmother, her memory is uh, not, not there. Um, so, you know, it's in some ways feels like a race against time you know, mm-hmm. to, to kind of collect these stories while while they exist what um like in terms of i don't know like practice i guess like as you hear or get information from uh your dad um about family how do you go about either prioritizing stuff or recording things or i just for example like for me i end up like grabbing my phone and I'll randomly ask. The last time we went to Mexico to go visit family, I asked my grandfather one question, and he did the same thing. Like he goes off on a different tangent. Yeah. It took forever to answer the question, <laughs> but brought up like four different things that were totally unique mm-hmm. and things that I didn't even know to ask about. And so, mm-hmm. like, I got the chance to record it, mm-hmm. um, and then later went back and transcribed some of it in like notes and stuff. Do you find any of that like a practice or do you intentionally sit down and ask him stuff or is it just in conversation? Like how does it yeah. see itself? Um, so I, I think it's a combination of, of both. There's like some other poems that I've been working on that I like, like deliberately reached out to my dad and like sent him like a list of questions of mm-hmm. things I want to know about like my grandmother and my family and, um, and, then there are other times that I just like him casually in the car with my abuelo in, in New Mexico. And I'm just like, abuelo, what happened here with this thing? And then, yeah, it takes like a lot of digging in. Um, yeah. So I try to like write things down as much as I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's somewhat tough cause my, my dad left Mexico when he was pretty young when he was around 10 or 11. My abuelo left like shortly after my dad was born um, you know, my grandmother's memory isn't really there, as I mentioned. And then my will also had a lot of like documents that were lost in, oh. in a fire. Mm. Um, when he was younger, he went from Jalisco to, um, well, I think he was born in San Miguel de Allende and then went to Jalisco and then went to Chihuahua. And so there's just like a lot of migration or documents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he doesn't actually know the exact date he was born. We, right. we don't yeah. actually know. Yeah, no, that this. happens to a lot, a, yeah, a lot yeah. of folks. Yeah. And yeah. so there's just like, I think the documentation that exists in a lot of, like my, my mom's family in comparison, like has a lot of this lineage like written down and they have like scrapbooks. And I'm sure if we like took a trip to Ellis Island, we could probably like find some shit, oh, but yeah. Wait, can I swear on this? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> you can swear. We've been cussing. You're good, you're good. Um, um, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, I, it's like, it's a combination. Sometimes it's like, you know, talking with, I remember like when my, my mom's father passed away, there was like a lot of discussion about where he came from. And then I was talking to him when he was in hospice and learning about like my Jewish lineage, tracing back to like Eastern Europe. And, um, you know, so it's different. Uh, it, it's different for each family member. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning. I think it's a process, too, of 
of learning how to record those stories. That's good stuff. Flipping, kind of flipping on this. Um, so we got to hang out during the <laughs> incubator. Yeah. Um, 2017, the second cohort for the, the incubator, which was a blast. What is the incubator? Oh, Lube. so, <laughs> so um, our listeners who don't know. <laughs> Crescendo Literary. Is that right? Yeah. Crescendo Literary. Yeah. Um, and the Poetry Foundation uh, collaborated together and created uh, an emerging poets uh, incubator uh, fellowship um, in which they opened up a submission process for um, not just poets who are just doing writing, but poets who are organizers, poets who are activists, like the other end of the spectrum in terms of of what uh, poetry can look like. So you've got those spaces that provide for more academic, academia-based writers. Um, this is the, the other end of the spectrum. Um, and in it's it... It's a different spectrum. I don't think it's the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> well, I think there are academic, quote-unquote, academic poets who are also doing activist work in their writing. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually <laughs> okay, fight you on that. that. I'm gonna fight you right on that. Now. Um, we don't need to do no, that. No, so this is this for me is the other end of the spectrum because <laughs> these are the people that are working in community differently than than poets who are doing it more through the writing. This is the the kind of questions and and things that were coming up in conversation felt very different. Being in spaces. Um, like Canto and like Macondo, the, the kind of questions that we're looking at feel much different than than how I came into, how I oriented myself in the writing. In this space, though, uh, we were able to go through like the logistics of how organizing an event mm -hmm. uh, for youth or for other adults, uh, for marginalized groups. Like it was a very refreshing conversation. And so Jonathan and I were both um, privileged to to be a part. I think our cohort was like twenty five. How many people? Yeah, twenty five people. Um, they had like I think they said like one fifty applied, and so we got in. Uh, it's a week long um, um, week of I would call it like training. It was a really good, thoughtful process of of what are best pro tips on the things that we're working on, both in craft and then in organizing. Um, that cohort we had, um, oh my God, Natalie Diaz, and I can't remember his last name now. Luis, my God, my last Valdez? No. No. Not Rodriguez? The, not the theater. Uh, Rodriguez, yeah. Luis Rodriguez. <laughs> uh, I was thinking Valdez, too. I was like, no, not the theater guy. Um, uh, Luis Rodriguez were both there uh, and, and led uh, lecture talks um, about craft uh, and about organizing. Um, and what that means. Um, and we ended the entire week. Um, they have a, a Chicago poetry block party. Um, the year we were there, it was in Pilsen at the, mm -hmm. the neighborhood right around the Mexican-American Museum of Art, which is, now. which is now where he's living. Um, and then this year, they have it somewhere else in Chicago, but yeah, it's still in based. Austin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, the third cohort just happened this past summer. Um, but so in that, like I, it was refreshing to see, um, for me, a lot of younger poets. And so like, they're so, it, for me, it feels much more intellectual about their writing than I ever felt I was at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, and so looking at that, like, 
I part of too is for me, like as we were mentioning earlier, was when did we figure out that we could do this career wise? Like what would that move mm-hmm. look like? And I feel like Jonathan, the question that I was thinking of asking was, um, when did you figure like, hey, maybe this is something I can do and and work on towards Or like, like and like at what point did like your like or do you feel like your like activism life and poetry life like have merged to like mm. work together or like how are they informing each other did you start off that way and thought like or did it just like it just kind of happened that way like where hmm. where do you think it yeah. kind of blossomed from hmm. i feel like there's a lot of different ways i can answer this question so i'm just gonna ramble that's how i ask so i from like a very early age i've always felt that like my life would be in the intersection of art and activism mm. um like very young i think like one of the first moments i can think of and this is like later in life once i learned more about it as i this is probably problematic but uh i like very young probably like five or six was for some reason i was five or six and watching saving private ryan i don't know <laughs> why. i don't know if that was appropriate but okay sure <laughs> i remember like being yeah i was like really young and it was on tv and there was like Vin Diesel's like guts were like everywhere, and these guys were like trying to patch the wound. I was like, "This is great art," and I was like a five year old. <laughs> but, <Wow. laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, now we can talk about how like Steven Spielberg didn't portray any black people and in the invasion of the 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 you know. Uh, attack on normandy um even though there are a lot of people of color who fall in world war ii and he didn't put any of them in that movie but at the time i was like this you were fine what did you know no no um but at the time i was like this is incredible storytelling and Mm -hmm. it is like telling this important moment in history that is impacting the way people in present day think about our past think about Mm -hmm. our present and hopefully think about our future and at that time i was like largely thinking from like a Jewish like visibility standpoint and like what that means to like forget or remember genocide. Um, And I, yeah, I I want to be a film director. That was like my goal from like five or six years old. That's like, who is Steven Spielberg? How do you make this? What do you do? How do I tell stories that like change the way people think about history and Mm. present day um, to like influence the future? And I was like, I want to be a film director. And that was like my absolute goal. And so through high school, um, that was like still the same thing. I, I held that passion and I want to like creatively through art, through hopefully through music, because I was studying music since I was like four. Um, my father, grandfather, brother, a lot of musicians in my family. Um, and so I was just like, what is the route? You know, I know it's going to involve art. I know it's going to involve advocacy or activism in some way, um, which I think a lot of that comes from my mom as well, because my mom uh, works in like public health and as long just like oh. cared, just instilled like a lot of values in me in like people and like caring about people, whether or not I know them. Um, and eventually I like discovered spoken word like later in high school, thanks to like some friends and programs that I was involved with. Um, 
And I remember after like my first slam, I was like, that was fun. It'll be nice to have just a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, everything I love, like music, film has become work. It's like I was trying to get into film school at the time. I was like applying to music schools as well. It's like, this has all become work. I don't have any hobbies. Poetry will be a great hobby that won't be work in any way. (laughs) Now it's become. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then like soon enough, I was like, oh, shit this is like a way more accessible and cheaper way to tell stories and impact people than film. <laughs> like, That's real, man. That's, That's awesome. real. Like, film is an expensive. Yeah. yeah not, not to shit on film filmmakers. I think film is great still, but, <laughs> um, but I think it sort of eventually took that route. I was like, this is like both like, a really amazing art form that I feel to express myself and also extremely accessible to like working class populations from different language backgrounds and comforts with literacy. And like this, this is an amazing community organizing tool as well. Um, so there's just like such an amazing crossover that like I, I did some like youth programs uh, for film and you know, the, just the amount of technology and like cost uh, that's required and people like a lot of people who are successful had laptops that their parents bought for them in high school right. that they could like edit and use cameras like very early on it's just that's not a reality for like so many for, for, in my opinion the people who like the folks who like most need to be able to, be able to, to have tell, themselves yeah. heard you know um and yeah so I, i'm still like i have so much to learn i feel like i'm like at five or ten percent of like this learning how to cross over arts and activism um but i think like spoken word has been proven so far to be an incredible way to do that cool yeah cool um <clears throat> five or six like you wanted to be a director <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was like yeah. yellow and blue make green. Yeah. <laughs> I was there, like that sharp though. Like that's good stuff. Um, so that kind of leads into the other uh, uh, question: is in terms of like the work that you're doing now with like Pilsen Alliance mm-hmm. and and the work that you do with your own craft. Like, where do you find that balance? Do do you find that one is informing the other? Has mm-hmm. it done so since the get go? Or yeah. how how do you find that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great time to ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, for folks who don't know, which I mentioned, some do, some don't, but um, Pilsen Alliance is like an incredible uh, community social justice organization in the neighborhood of Pilsen, Chicago. And actually, that summer that you were talking about last summer when we did that uh, that festival in Pilsen, that was like that weekend, I was like, I need to live here someday. (laughs) I I, like checked out bucket list for going to Pilsen (laughs) and going to the museum. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, that was a moment where I was like, this is an incredibly resilient community against Mm -hmm. gentrification, uh, against displacement of all kinds of both gentrification, also uh, the immigration fight um, and just working class people of color, like resisting. And there's just like so much to be a part of in this community. And I think it's one thing to like act locally, but then there's another that like people and I was talking to people in San Antonio who like know about Pilsen Alliance. Mm-hmm. Like this is, I think it's a prime example of like the local it's work influ- influencing the national. Yeah, yeah absolutely. To give um, you an idea of like what the kind of like gentrification stuff that's occurring at Pilsen, when we were prepping the day for the block party, um, Yadalmi Noriega, who shout out Yadalmi, um, who Poetry Foundation, uh, she was just kind of you know walking a couple of us through the the space, and we walked out into the alleyway uh, behind the museum, and there was some uh, Warita lady 
walking around with like three couples mm-hmm. and was giving a tour Yo, yeah. of Pilsen like it was. Yeah. And this is where you could, you know, build your house. And like she said it. And I just kind of turned and looked. And Yadalmi was like, mm-hmm. Yes. That happens. And there are tours. People give tours about how to come into the neighborhood and build and stuff. Try. Yeah. It's there there's like legit these like bougie restaurant tours. And I, yeah. I forget what they're called, but like they post some lines and like some other amazing organizations like Shy Resist and uh I'm forgetting others, but um they like do like have done like actions on these tours because they'll like bring folks in from downtown or whatever. People like just yuppies who like just moved to Chicago who um yeah, they'll, like, show them around Pilsen, like, all the new developments and all the new, like, restaurants that they can go to that are not people from the community. They're, mm. they're people who are, like, fundamentally trying to change it. Change yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Um, and so how does that, that work, like, build into how you're creating and crafting newer work now or, yeah. or work that you've done before? Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm thinking about a lot. Uh, so I, I've been with Pilsen Alliance only for, like, two weeks now but i've like been in touch with them since last summer actually um yeah i I think there's like the poetry aspect of it there's like the content that i write about i think Mm -hmm. is very much influenced by what i'm focused on so whenever uh you know i organize and this is for for most folks who like know community organizing like you you research like the first thing you do is like get to understand the the place you're in yeah Yeah. and especially as someone who's new to that community like i have a lot of respects to pay to the people who have been doing that work for for decades yeah because we get a lot of folks (laughs) coming into houston trying to do things yeah they don't know the community at all and they get hired to do these community engagement jobs Mm -hmm. and it's like you don't even know the people that live here and don't take the time to get to know the people yeah exactly and, that, and that's like one of the worst things that folks can do is just like step in without knowing like mm-hmm. what's been done already, which right. is like right. extremely right. frustrating, I imagine, for a lot of people. Um, but so there's like through that research, through learning about like Chicago's history of corruption, um, which is tied to every city really, right, <laughs> but right. there's just like a lot to know um, yeah. about that city's politics. Like that, I think, is finding its way into my work currently. Um, and yeah just like the more i know about organizing the more it's like people need to know about these stories and it's like one thing to to organize like an action to speak out against local aldermen i don't have to mention names but (laughs) (laughs) uh about like what that alderman has done to that community in ways that they've betrayed people in pilsen and um you know there's one thing to like do actions around that issue uh and then it's another thing to like try to take those stories like out into my daily life as a poet and be like this is something i'm seeing in this community it speaks to other communities and um and then i think it is another thing to find ways that like the organizing of like poetry spaces can speak directly to the organizing of like these issue-based like campaigns whether they're yeah usually usually like policy related Mm -hmm. um so there's like uh there's a a decolonization open mic that i I believe it's shy resist i hope i'm getting that right (laughs) but shy resist put on but um there's like a a local community cafe that's been there for a while uh called la catrina um and they run like a decolonization open mic where a lot of people like get up there and like talk about some of the some of the shit that's going on um so i think there's like 
I don't know, I guess that those are kind of the things in my mind is like, one, how does the, the organizing like content wise fit into my poetry in terms of what I'm speaking about and when I'm traveling or doing shows elsewhere so that people like know what's happening in the community that I'm in, but also like probably what's happening in their own community. Yeah. How it's all Um, in conversation. And then also like whenever I'm doing shows, like what organizations am I shouting out? Like while I'm on stage, um, and if I'm like organizing a poetry project and that, that's something I'm like brainstorming a lot now is like uh, bilingual, like Latinx in Spanish, like spoken word slams and stuff. Nice. Um, like how is that integrally connected with uh, the, the on the ground campaigns? Um, and there's one other thing I was going to say and I'm completely forgetting it. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot about just like knowing your community and oh this is what i was gonna say i i I think organizers like something that is constantly needed is for people to be like in a space um with a lot of people who care about a certain issue and someone with like a microphone on the stage Mm -hmm. to like talk to those people about issues that are going on and that is something that like organizers like will put hours and hours and hours into doing Mm -hmm. and like artists have that platform so often right and it's like it's it, it, it frustrates me sometimes to see like artists like have that space and have that platform and they'll be like talking about an issue and like not reference the organization that's literally around the corner who's doing that very thing. Right. Um, so I, I always try to like make an initiative to know what organizations are doing, doing locally around that yeah, issue. That, yeah. that's, um, just to like connect that audience to the work that's happening right in their neighborhood um, to get plugged in. So I think there's a lot of ways that they can can connect, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning about it and I'm trying to put it into practice. Yeah. Great. So, do you have another poem for us today? Yeah. <laughs> <I hope. laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Now we get to experience a little bit more of, of, of everything you've been talking about. Yeah. I think, so, yeah. Um, all right. Can I do it? Is it okay if I don't do it? Moses? That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you're, you're feeling inclined to do. Transparency. I literally, before we started, I, had a I was like, I want you to do his motives. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, that, okay, cool. And so now <laughs> he's not, up. which is fine. Which is fine. Because that's like, you have a request. And then in my head, I was like, please don't request. Us. Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to go hide now. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, I, I, I've been doing that poem a lot, but... Um, I'm going to do the other poem that I do a lot. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, no, I think I'm just thinking about this piece in particular. Um, well, I, I just did osmosis the other night. It was, oh, uh, so yeah, no. It's like, <laughs> it's like when you eat spaghetti and then someone's so like, yeah, hey, let's have some spaghetti for lunch. Again. No, yeah. Yeah. That. Again. no there's, there's the one poem that people keep asking me to do that I've done for 10 years. And I'm like, I just want the poem to like die. Dominicano, I don't want to do this poem anymore. Dominicano soy. Stop asking me to do this poem. Like, just kill it, please. Nobody asks me to read. <laughs> true. People ask you to do your teacher poem. They like your teacher oh, poem. Oh, yeah. Nobody's asked me to do that poem in a few years. <laughs> I'm kidding. Go <laughs> whenever you're ready. Yeah, no, I because I've been I've been doing that, and then I performed with my my friend Joaquina, who's shout out to Joaquina. She's an amazing singer. Um, and uh, yeah, we had like performed that together. So I feel like I'm like very much in the nature of like doing that poem in other ways now, okay. um, like with music or something different. So, um, but I'm feeling this other poem. I, I just got back from uh chihuahua visiting my family and i'm just like thinking a lot about them and just uh yeah have a ton of love for them and missing them already so um this is like 
actually a poem that I'd written like in reflection after my first time visiting my family in Chihuahua. Um, and so like I'm thinking about it now. Um, Confessions on Gratitude. My father tells me of Chihuahua, his birthplace, of women selling roses on street corners to remain alive, of children washing cars or selling mangoes with no shoes. He tells me of how he came to the US when he was 10, of how lucky he was to obtain a green card from his father's new wife, how his father obtained one from his boss, he tells me of the rotting car he drove from Arizona to Boston, of how lucky he was for it not to break down, how it was here where he would meet my mother, find a job, have children, how everything I am, I am because of good luck. And I am to be grateful for my existence, sure, but sometimes I wonder if Chihuahua is the greatest exporter of good luck. Bad luck never gets anywhere. Bad luck always drowns in the Rio Grande or shot halfway up the fence by an immigration officer. But good luck, good luck got the affirmative action scholarship. Good luck applied for citizenship at the right time. I don't believe anyone died because they were not strong. I believe I survived because I was lucky. I'm lucky because the indigenous woman forced to bear me, staring down the eye of a Spaniard's gun did not end herself before starting me. I'm lucky because my Jewish grandparents fled Russia before the raids began. Because my Jewish grandparents fled Poland before the raids began. Because my Jewish grandparents fled Spain before the raids began. Because my Mexican family's green cards arrived after the raids began. Mm. And I do not get to disassociate myself from those who are undocumented just because I have the fortune of being documented. Mm. I'm not joyful for good luck. Good luck implies the death of everyone who does not have it. I cannot celebrate good luck in a graveyard. I blow out the birthday candles, and each year I survive is a year someone did not. I walk to school unbombed. I go to bed undeported. I hit the bar undroned. I am everything the ground did not bury. I want a victory out of this, but I don't know what candles to offer the ghost beside me. I want a cake, a party, balloons, a gift basket. I want it all entering the earth when they did. And I'm to be grateful for my existence, sure. But gratitude is a cold war's reparation away from justice. Gratitude does not lift up the dead, does not spill the life back into a mother. I want to be alive and well and joyous. But if I knew the world like a cousin, I'd know death like a twin. There is a boy somewhere with my name. And he does not get to write this poem. Mm. I write this poem because I am not him. But here, alive, so lucky. Ladies and gentlemen, John de Mendoza. Oh, my heart. <laughs> Such a good piece. Thank you. Now I want to ask like 20 more questions, but we don't have time. I know, so right? we will be right back after this short break with our lightning round questions. Yeah, so and uh, be Josh prepared for the, the hard stuff. This yeah, is... yeah. Just, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's so I can do it. Yeah. In that yeah, case, yeah. Josh, don't you have to just jump into it. That's okay. just me moving spit in my mouth. <laughs> not lightning. <laughs> um, we back uh yeah, in a few I seconds. I said that already. Oh you did I'm sorry. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Um, 
Um, With Jonathan Mendoza. Yeah. To open up our Inkwell season two. Episode one. Episode one. Lightning round. Lightning round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's the um, so here are the rules for the lightning round. <clears throat> you have sixty seconds to answer each of these questions. This is yeah. This is the hardcore. These questions. are the hardcore questions. Things everyone really wants to know. Everybody else to that listens <laughs> to get you hot dates. <laughs> these are the questions that everybody who listens to our podcast they zoom through the whole interview and they just listen oh to the gosh. last it's, it's section it's of this. It's not true. <laughs> That'd be funny though. No, not really. Don't do that, folks. Listen to the poetry. Listen to the whole thing. Listen to everything. Um, so yeah, sixty seconds to answer each question. These are difficult questions. All right, here we go. We're gonna start. Ready? Number one, what is, in your opinion, the best city for tacos? Oh God. Oh no, you can't do this. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. Um, Fifty seconds. Freaking uh, San and Chicago. <laughs> San Chicago. <laughs> I was, he Does was that about count? to say. Does that count? That, well, it doesn't have to be lo- like a like a U.S. city. Oh, had, okay. Yeah, where yes. we had really like the best tacos ever. Oh, San Chihuahua. <laughs> Chihuahua. Chicago. It's, it's city in my brain. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's so we can put all the tacos. In. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Sure. Uh, two. Um, best crowd you've ever performed for. Oh my gosh. Um, I was going to say Lupe and Jasmine, but <laughs> um, that was the answer done. No. <laughs> um, gosh, 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 gosh. Or like the best venue you feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think 45 seconds. Oh my God. Oh geez. Okay. Uh, there was a crowd in, I'm going I'm to say this. I'm going to keep it cheesy. I performed like early on. I remember younger for the like graduating class of the summer leadership program in Boston. And I was like 19. I was like about to age out of that youth program because I was old as hell. But um, <laughs> I, I love those people dearly. And there's still people I keep in touch with. And they're amazing young leaders, activists of color in Boston. And they, yeah, they, they have a special place in my heart. That's dope. So wasn't performing with Sonia Sanchez? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask about earlier. We yeah, ran out of that's, time. You're like, you but, gave the wrong answer, John. <laughs> <Incorrect. laughs> no, um, well, so that also then brings up the worst crowd or venue <laughs> you've ever performed at. Oh, my God. Oh, 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 oh. This one. Oh, my God. He's going to say, I did that all. <laughs> no, I know. Say the one that I <laughs> No, I... Uh, there's a spot that I won't... I won't say where it is, but just there... there <laughs> The notorious for heckling. Oh, is that San Antonio? Oh, oh yeah. I'll call it out. I'm sorry. Damn. San Antonio yeah, Slam do. is notorious for heckling, and we'll Damn. just call it out, which is why I don't. Damn, I was like, I was like, it's bad. Yeah. It wasn't the burger place, right? No, it's the it, other because they moved. Sam's Burger Joint, I think, closed, or they just switched venues. Yeah. But just like that community is just known for heckling. heckling. Yeah. And it's like really and annoying. I forgot about that, and I like brought my set, which is like very much around like, um, you know, like. Uh, privilege of being like an american citizen and then i was like trying to there's just like a, a lot of like in my opinion like rampant anti-blackness in san antonio as oh, there is yes. everywhere but no, i yeah, think there's is, something is. particular about as san antonio and so then i was doing a poem on that and like dead center like 10 feet in front of me there's like this couple that was like had a lot to drink and was like laughing throughout the entire poem and it's like really awful yeah. so, yo at least they were only <laughs> laughing and not literally like 
I mean, I've been there where they will be like, who's this on the, get off the stage. Da, 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 yeah. Like very like yeah. just rude. I remember leaving that show and telling my friend, I was like, that's the worst venue I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Go do it. Oh, uh, I don't know what I'm asking. Oh, Valentina or Sriracha? Oh, nice. Valentina. Ding, ding, ding. Disowned. Jasmine's like, Disowned. wrong again. No, wrong again. What? <laughs> no, it's not good. Uh, what's your ritual before you hit the stage? Do you have a ritual? Hmm. Oh, God. It's... That was two questions. Just... <laughs> well, that's okay. You talked a lot earlier. Yeah. Okay. It's not going to be like a serious one, but okay. uh, with my friends from like some sand teams, especially with, uh, yeah, there's a P- P- PSP. Is the ritual, which stands for pre-slam poop. Um, <laughs> That's real, so, though, because of the nerves. Yeah, the what? nerves. Like when, you, when I get nervous, I have yeah. to poop. I yeah. know this is not appropriate inkwell like, conversation, yeah. but I it's, feel you. It's a real phenomenon. It's, you get nervous. You, you try to eat your meal fast before you have to like perform, <laughs> and then you have some coffee to like wake up. It's just Oh, and then you got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so y'all actually eat? That's I can never. So that's, I don't eat it before depends. performance. I mean, it depends. I can't eat before performance because of that like i don't want to go to the bathroom i don't want to have to do nothing all right moving right along (laughs) next question Uh, if you could perform or read with anybody who would it be anyone um 55 seconds i'm uh i'm gonna like probably take this somewhere a different direction um (laughs) i'm gonna say like was family um i'm thinking about like my wello and like i i like really love performing with musicians and finding like creative ways to do that and i think that would be really cool to do someday and also just um i don't know i I, maybe it's just like the zone i'm in having come from like seen a lot of family in the past two weeks but i'm just thinking of like people i haven't gotten to meet people who like passed away before they Mm. knew me as a poet um and i think like you know in uh in a hypothetical dream world um to be able to like perform with ancestors is like nice. damn yeah. and i went somewhere else i was like yeah. uh, maya angelou <laughs> <laughs> Like, my like, uh, <laughs> like I'm thinking he's like my ancestor. And I'm like, I'm raise go them from the ground <laughs> with the sage <laughs> and the drum circle. I'm like, oh God. Okay. Mommy, I'm okay. Gonna... Um, last book of poems you've read. <laughs> last book of poems I read. Oh gosh, this is tough because the secret is I don't read a lot of poetry. But um, uh, last performance you saw. Yeah, I'll do book of poems. Or, uh, yeah. Well, that's book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just say a book that I'm like really obsessed with right now. It's called Capitalism, A Ghost Story by Adam Dati Roy. And it is incredible. Um, And I I think it's just like the way she talks about like policy in ways that are like so poetic. Like I consider it like poetry. And it's just like that's something that I aim to do with my work is to be able to talk about like policies like imperialistic policies in ways that are like super accessible and poetic and engaging to the to the actual communities they affect the most damn every single answer it's just too smart for me (laughs) uh oh cats or dogs oh shit damn i would have said dogs like a year ago but I'm living with this really annoying dachshund right now, so I'm going to say cats. Shout out to Kurt, my roommate's cat back in Boston. 
You yeah. miss the cat now. I miss the cat. Yeah. Um, Boston, Chicago, or San Antonio? Oh my gosh. <sighs> Sorry, Boston, but you're not making the list. Um, San Antonio, I love you, but Chicago's got my heart right now. Yeah. If you could travel internationally for poetry, where would you go? Hmm. Um, I like want, really want to do like dream is to do like a Latin America tour. I want to like mm. translate my work and memorize it in Spanish and be able to do sets in Spanish. Um, and I also like really, really freaking love Indonesian food and Indonesian music. And there's like an Indonesian like jazz festival in Jakarta. And I just think there's like culture, art and music in Indonesia is like really incredible. That'd be really cool to do shows there. That's an interesting one. That's dope. So lastly, what what are you working on and where can folks find you, whether on the interwebs or in the flesh? Yeah, so you caught me out a pretty exciting week, but it's filled with secrets. (laughs) Secrets. So maybe by the time this podcast is out, then those secrets will be public. But I am like definitely working on the on a next book um, and hopefully a full length. Uh, so I'm fleshing that that manuscript out um, and then doing like some organizing projects, looking at ways to, um, yeah, to, to just make spoken word like in Spanish more accessible and more of a thing um, for like first generation immigrants and for folks in Latin America. Uh, I'm especially thinking about my family who kept, I gave them books in Chihuahua and they're like, this is great. I can't understand any of it. Yeah. You should write this in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then exploring ways to, uh, bring back my music. I went to college for music, longtime musician, but bring that into my poetry and like experiment with just like a little bit of my film background and like nice. some spoken word and music and try to like put that all into something. So, um, yeah, there's some like exciting collaborations that are very recent as of like yesterday and that's a secret for now, but hopefully we'll be out soon with, with some like really incredible musicians. Um, yeah, things happening. Awesome. And, and your people, website? Yeah, website. Where can we find you? Yeah, so the, the social needs is uh, at jmendoza010. Um, that's on Twitter and Instagram. And then website is mendozapoetry.com. Uh, Facebook is the Facebook slash Mendoza Poetry, whatever. Um, yeah, awesome. I think that's, that's dope. Uh, Folks, you've been listening to Inkwell with our first guest for season two, Jonathan Mendoza, um, a shout out and a thanks to everybody at Imprint, uh, at Josh, Josh 150 Media fa- uh, House. And uh, so, quick announcements. Um, we have an exciting season coming yo, up for like, Tintero Projects, which like, I will share with you all. Oh. Since uh, <laughs> I'd like to get just, some airtime to my notebook. <laughs> just, so, in October, we have our writing workshops here at the Imprint House every Sunday. What time, Lupe? Uh, six to eight. Six to eight p.m. Those are generative writing workshops. Uh, all uh, levels, levels welcome. All genres welcome. Please uh, come hang out with us, have some snacks, get some writing done. Should be fun. And uh, last but definitely not least, we want to plug the Imprint Margaret Root Brown Reading Series. You can learn more about all of this at our respective websites. You can go to imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. This was fun. Welcome back to Houston, yo. Yeah. That's good good stuff. We will catch you guys next time on Inkwell, a Tintero Projects and Imprint collaboration. Should do the lightning again. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Inkwell, 
a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint in Houston, Texas, a city with a wellspring of literary activity. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Kristen Flack, Rich Levy, and Krupa Parikh of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Josh Walker with 150 Media House. Inkwell is made possible by a grant from the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information, visit imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. For feedback on this and future episodes, email inkwell at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.